0: Thank you, Steph. Thanks, uh, Polygon, and welcome to the Polygon Impact Ecosystem Series, a uh, brand new Twitter space on the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Zarpedis from Impact Plus, and uh, Impact Plus has been collaborating very closely with Polygon to develop what is Polygon Impact, an initiative whose objective is to increase the use of blockchain in the impact space through international development and humanitarian lenses. Thank so, the objective of this series is really to examine the present and future contribution of blockchain to the SDGs and to do it in a critical and in a critical way, way, right? Um, we're going to share ideas, inspire innovative thinking, raise awareness of the potential of applications of blockchain. And I think as importantly, we need to critically discuss the challenges we're facing and how we can humbly overcome them. After all, blockchain is a new technology that has tremendous potential. So um, let's see what we can do with it. Now, the first thing we have to ask ourselves perhaps is what are the SDGs and why should we re- why should we refer to them, right? As you probably know, the SDGs, uh, Sustainable Development Goals, were adopted by the United Nations in 2015, and they're basically a global call to action. They're an action aimed at ending poverty, protecting our planet, and in a nutshell, ensuring prosperity for all. Um, They're quite complex. There are 17 interconnected goals and 169 targets, if I remember correctly. And they span social, economic, and environmental dimensions. The vision, after all, is to leave no one behind. So... In other words, one could say that the SDGs are basically a roadmap, right? A roadmap for us to collaborate and create a world that is more just, equitable and uh, environmentally friendly. So our objective and the reason we will be using the SDGs is that um, um, they will provide a a guideline for us to move forward, right? Um, and what we'll be doing is uh, highlighting success stories, um, areas of progress that is la- areas where progress is lagging. Um, see how we can contribute to each goal, and of course, suggest practical steps that we can all take to uh, ensure that blockchain creates a positive impact. So we'll, we'll be featuring uh, guest speakers, including experts, activists, and representatives from the front lines of sustainable development, and of course, uh, builders in the blockchain area. However, before we start, and it's, I think it's important that we acknowledge also that um, SDGs face strong criticism. Right, one can say that they are ambiguous and complex. I mean, I mentioned there are seventeen goals and one hundred sixty-nine targets. Um, one of the examples I'm particularly worried about, for example, is that they're very hard to measure. They rely on a large number of indicators to measure progress, and sometimes critics will argue that these can be ambiguous or they can be difficult, or that methodologies vary from one country or region to another. Um, others say that they may be it, it may be difficult after uh, the SDGs to address the root causes um to to really address the underlying structural structural issues that contribute to global problems um such as uh, economic equality or political instability. And others will also say that it's a historical top down approach that is being applied here, right? The SDGs have been criticized for having been developed primarily by governments, international organizations, and some have said with limited input from grassroots organizations and um, uh, communities on the on the frontiers. So uh, some have said that this top-down approach can actually lead to a lack of local ownership and context-specific solutions, et cetera. And of course, I could go on and on, like insufficient lack of funding, which is probably one of the things uh, we're all quite familiar with, how to uh, ensure that we have sufficient funds to push these projects together. So I think it's important that we, while we um, agree that we're going to be using the SDGs as a framework to understand how blockchain solutions can contribute um to the to to the global um, um well being of of the planet, we also need to understand what these current issues are and how uh, blockchain can uh, ease things and make things easier right so um I think that blockchain will be seeing during the next seventeen episodes, one for each sdG that um, blockchain can do a number of things. Um, it can bring improvements to current systems or it can actually bring uh, gradient shifts, gradient shifts right? changes of paradigms altogether. So I'm very, very curious to see where this is going to take us. And before we start with SDG number one, I would really like to thank Polygon, Stefan Benton and Manu Echenove, as well as the Polygon leadership for making the, this series possible, which we're all incredibly excited about at Polygon and at Impact Plus. So not wanting to uh, take any more of your time, Uh, We're going to uh, dive right into uh, SDG number one, no poverty. Um, SDG number one, no poverty, two simple words whose main goal is to end poverty in all forms everywhere by 230. This is a short sentence, but a very, very profound statement. I mean, after all, poverty is a complex and multidimensional issue, and it's affecting um, millions of millions of people everywhere. So it's going to require a multi-pronged approach and includes economic growth, social protection policies, access to essential service, fighting um, extreme poverty, uh, promoting sustainable, sustainable livelihoods, and a bunch of other things. Um, but to support me to discuss this SDG number one, we have with us Glow Dollar to help us navigate this uh, ambitious objective. Um, we have Jasper Dresens, the co-founder and chief marketing of Glow Dollar, and we have Seth Green, a researcher, writer, and Glow Dollar. Hey, guys, how are you?
1: Sorry, I was muted. We're good. This is Seth. How are you?
0: Hey, hey Jasper here from GLOW. Uh, great to be here. Hope you're doing all right. Hey, thanks, guys. It's, I'm extremely, extremely happy to, to be with you guys. We've been chatting about um, SDGs, extreme poverty, and what to do about it. And um, what I really like about your approach is that uh, sometimes when I talk to people and I ask them the question, hey, do you really need blockchain to run your project? With you, the answer is a clear yes. And this is what I really think is, is cool about the work you're doing, right? So um, what I'd like to do is dive straight into, into it. I'd like to give you a second perhaps to introduce yourselves and then um, ask you the first basic questions just to, just to warm up before we go into uh, more complex uh, questions and, um, and uh, comments. And basically, what do you think blockchain may do to support the SDGs?
1: Great. Um, I'll start. My name is Seth Green. There's an actor named Seth Green as well, but that's someone else. Um, I've worked at Glow since May of last year, so I'm coming up on one year. Um, Before this, I've worked in startups. I had a brief career as an academic researcher. And uh, yeah, it's been quite a
2: journey. Yeah, my name is Jasper. I am one of the co-founders and uh, uh, the chief marketing officer of the uh, Glow Foundation, and um, yeah, very shortly, the Glow Foundation is a non-profit, and we are building the Glow Dollar, and the Glow Dollar is a stablecoin, and um, we're pretty much like some of the other stablecoins you all know and love, Um, or not love, depends, I guess, Um, uh, with the difference that uh, uh, stablecoins make a lot of money, but we donate all of that money, And we use it to give people an extreme poverty, basic incomes. Um, So that means that if you're using stable coins, then, you know, you can pick which one you want to use. And every time you use Glow, then uh, we make a little bit more money and then we can help more people out of extreme poverty. I think that's it in a nutshell.
0: So it's an it's an incredibly innovative approach, right? And but before we delve exactly, uh, before we delve into the details of Glow, by the way, I I think the name is, is fantastic. I'd love to know how we, how you came up with that. Um, let's 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 focus first on the on the SDGs, right? Um, Seth Jasper, you're the first guys on that that are, have been invited to the to this to this series, so let's keep it at a general level, right? Well, how do you think blockchain may support the SDGs generally? And then we can go, we can slowly ease our way into the first SDG, no poverty.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, whenever we face a question like this, or I in particular, there's a trade-off between speaking very narrowly about the thing that I know a lot about and speaking more speculatively about the things I don't know much about. Um, Here, I'm going to try to swing both. The narrow thing is that, as we've said, SDG number one is end poverty in all its forms everywhere, and target 1.1 is end extreme poverty, and extreme poverty is defined as living on less than $2.15 per day. Currently, that is the the state of things for about 700 million people. In general, that number has been declining over time. But then with COVID, we saw backtracking with uh, the decline in economic activity. So GLOW's goal, the thing that we are oriented around, is this very particular target. We have a stablecoin that generates income for people in extreme poverty. And if we scale this up sufficiently, we can make a serious dent in the amount of extreme poverty On Earth, we think that theoretically ending that extreme poverty by 2030 is actually a realistic goal. That's the thing that we do. That's the thing we know most about. More speculatively, I would say many of the SDGs are interconnected. We wrote a blog post about this recently called Glow, Zero Poverty, and the SDGs. Basically, we think that it's hard to know what's really upstream of what when you can tackle a complex thing. As you say, all these goals are interconnected and all these like, problems are interconnected. But we think that poverty, and in particular extreme poverty, is as pretty close to a root cause of all of them as you can find. So with that in mind, I think we're a blockchain-oriented solution around this one problem. And then we think that with this one problem solved, we can naturally approach a bunch of others.
0: Jasper, anything you'd like to add there? Um, no, I think that's that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. Cool. so um Seth, you've mentioned a little bit um how you think that sGT number one can uh, kind of help for the other SDGs, but let's take a, um, a step back, right? And, and look at, at the SDGs in general, and what blockchain technology in general can do for the SDGs, right? Uh, there's a lot of stuff happen- yeah. happening in the environmental space, um, in the health sector, etc. Um, what do you think is behind the hype about blockchain? What can we actually do about the SDGs from our little neck of the woods?
1: It's funny because I kind of dodged your question and I appreciate you bringing it back. Yeah, no, I mean, I was saying basically like this is the one we do, but I didn't give a very general answer. And so to a more general answer, I mean, what I'm personally excited about in the blockchain space, if I had to pick two things, um, I would say lower transaction costs in terms of international finance um getting things from one place to another, basically like remittances and cross-border payments. I think that's a really a as of yet pretty much untapped source of economic growth um that will do a lot. And I think blockchain has a lot of potential there. And on the more like broad based global justice sense, I think that mm-hmm. DAOs and the innovations people are working on to use blockchain to solve collective action problems are really promising. And I like a lot of these I like that a lot of these models have grassroots participation baked in. This is potentially revolutionary. Um, it has the potential to create democracy like we've never seen before, because it crosses political borders, like theoretically, anyone can join DAO. Having said that, you know, people said that the internet was going to do the same thing, and like, I'm not so sure how well that's turned out. So this is all speculative. We're going to have to see. Like, is, this is not like – I, I don't believe in like, the force of history. I don't think this is just going to inevitably happen. I think we need to make it happen.
0: Well, si- since you're saying this, um, this leads me to one of the questions I always have, which I briefly touched upon and you, you've, uh, you've somewhat answered, but I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing you're saying is that on the one hand, we can, uh, blockchain can support incremental changes, right? Uh, it can make systems more effective. It can make them more transparent and a number of other, um, achievements. On the other hand, it can lead to, uh, incredible paradigm shifts with the famous kunian paradigm when you go mm-hmm. from a uh, Copernicus system to Galilean system, et cetera, right? Um, what do you think we're going to be seeing with blockchain? Is blockchain going to support more of these uh, incremental st- changes, these baby steps that are imported, right, at the end of the day? Because if you say 3% on remissions, that changes... Though That changes everything, right? But it, um, through a thousand governance systems, we can see the models of international development of the humanitarian space shift tremendously, shake them uh, from the ground up. What do you think we'll be seeing? Or is it both, perhaps? Um,
1: you know that old quip that prediction is hard, especially about the future? Um, <laughs> so I would say that I, in my heart, am an incrementalist. I look in like what excites me and it's like these marginal changes and I don't want to understate the importance of those. Like if globe becomes a $18 billion stablecoin and then lifts 1 million people out of poverty, you know, I mean, perhaps we haven't like changed the whole world because the world is a big place, but for those mil, like a million's a big number. Like, I, I think that I'm not so mm-hmm. sure I buy this distinction that there's a clear difference between incremental changes. Like, if you stack enough of those together, you get a global change. Um, and as to the global potential, like the very, very disruptive of potential of DAOs and such, um, we're still in early times. I mean, how old is the oldest DAO? It's like not as old as crypto. It's at least that is. It's like got to be younger than Ethereum, and Ethereum's like what nine at this point the white paper was 2014. So this is, we're still in early stages. I will, I am not sure what will be the first like major institution to fall to blockchain alternatives, but currently the answer is none, right? Like what industry or what ecosystem has really like withered away or disappeared in because of blockchain yet? I would say the answer is nothing.
0: No, I agree. We're we're really at the at the early stages, right? Um, UNICEF just announced not long ago that they're beginning to explore the use of an internal DAO for decision making, right? And so we are seeing these these potential changes. We're, we're thinking that uh, they're going to happen, but let's see let's see where they take us. But um, what we should do perhaps is dive uh, more into the SDG that we we have to touch upon today, then, which we've already. Um, Highlighted, which is uh, end poverty. Could you guys tell us a bit more about this SDG? I'm, I'm sure you've done tons of research on it uh, before you, you you decided to create this uh, magnificent project, which is Glow Dollar.
1: Sure, uh, Jasper, you want this one, or shall I? Uh, no, okay. go. ahead. So, um. So, let's just take some categories from a group called Our World in Data here. I think they're really useful. Um. I'm going to fudge the numbers a little bit here. Fudge is the word I used. Um, so, okay. So there's extreme poverty. and that is living on less than $2.15 per day. That's the kind of poverty we're focused on. The extreme poverty line changes over time based on inflation and local cost of consumption. But basically, as we are fond of saying, this is the worst kind of poverty, the one in which, in which you experience the most day-to-day deprivations, right? Like if you read, uh, there's a 2007 paper by uh, Banerjee and Duflo called the economic lives of the poor uh that basically says like if you look at the consumption habits of the extreme poor you see that they like routinely miss meals they like have all these things that are just you know well i mean on one hand this is like the historical state of humanity over the past hundred hundred thousand years or whatever but it's bad to miss meals they use this very funny they say like when the when people miss meals, they are quote extremely unhappy. It's like yeah, you wouldn't you don't say okay. That's like the extreme poverty, and then there's what we would call just like the bulk of poverty, which was living on less than ten dollars a day, the equivalent of that affects I think billions of people. Um, and that is, but we're talking more like in the in the on a global scale, that would be like you know middle class lower middle class if there was a single a singular class that encompassed the entire earth and then finally the third line they draw is living on less than $30 a day which is basically the line of being middle class in a rich western nation at that point you mm-hmm. know you're doing like i mean if you if you're earning $30 a day in america or spain or finland like you're poor but pretty far from starving so those are the three lines mm-hmm. that we uh, we think about. But Glow is focused almost exclusive. Glow is fo- fo- focused exclusively on the first line on extreme poverty.
0: So let's talk about extreme poverty. Um, what are the measures that experts generally say should be implemented to get rid of this uh, this cancer of extreme poverty? Yeah. So
1: basically, we think there's like three si- three kinds of approaches, um, and well, let's, let's say four. And we'll go, and the one we support is the last one. Okay, so one immigration. If people were allowed to immigrate freely between countries, people think this would like double global GDP in not a very long amount of time. Um, It is to date the most extreme capital/slash human capital restriction on earth. Uh, The second category is just people tout economic growth itself as the key thing that ends poverty to quote economist jagadish bhagwati he says um well actually he's talking about trade and he said trade promotes growth and growth reduces poverty that's like the simple maxim that people try to keep in mind um three there are specialized aid and transfer programs so if you look at like the against malaria foundation or any number of the groups that provide like public health interventions like that, um, they essentially see some serious external barrier to human capital development as the most pressing issue. And GiveWell basically agrees with that assessment. GiveWell is a group that evaluates charities. So these are, the, these are three categories. And the fourth, the simplest, the one GLOW endorses, is just giving people money. And there are so many things we like about this. like, But this is... Um, in the economic literature, this is called unconditional cash transfers. Unconditional, meaning like you just get it. A conditional cash transfer would be you get cash if you bring your kid to get vaccinated or something. Unconditional is like, here you go, good luck. Um, and what researchers find is that people know what to do with their money more or less. Like they typically spend it on, if you get an unconditional cash transfer, people spend it on. Durables and they improve the quality of their house and they uh, invest in businesses. Spending on so called temptation goods like alcohol and tobacco doesn't seem to increase at all, which I think a lot of people find surprising. But this is, you know, this is like a major finding in the economics literature in the past 15 years. So, anyway, that's one thing we like about it. The other thing that we like about it is its simplicity. If you, if someone is if poverty is defined as living on less than $2 a day, $2.15, if you just make it happen that they get closer to that line, then they are just definitionally no longer in extreme poverty, totally mechanical. And so that's the, that's the solution we're betting on currently. That's what GLOW does is we generate revenue for a charity that gives unconditional cash transfers to people. But all four of these approaches probably have a place.
0: I I guess I have two two follow-up questions, right? One is more at the strategic level is um, there are many obstacles – to eliminating extreme poverty, and of course you're, you're suggesting a, a specific answer, right? But sometimes when people talk about UCTs, the immediate criticism is that you're putting a bandaid on on, on a on a catastrophic wound, right, on a life-threatening wound. Uh, why? Because it's not really addressing the root causes of the problem, right? Such as education and skill development, such as lack of access to healthcare, or as importantly, uh, very poor governments, political instability, or, or what we are seeing in uh, recently is an of, um, of violent conflict, right? Uh, what would you say to anyone who would be, like myself, who would be touching upon these points? Um,
1: first, I would say that, over time, it is just not true that we are seeing an increase in violent conflict. Steven Pinker's The Better Angels of Our Nature is, is like, about this. Just, over time, violent conflict is going down. There are lots of, I understand the, the prominent counterexample example you're thinking of, but this is an anomaly. Over time, violent conflict is going down. Anyway... So the other things you mentioned were education and healthcare. And one other thing, um, I would say that in practice, we find that when people get cash transfers, they tend to spend them on things like education and healthcare and skills building. Like as I think it's Rutger Berman who says that poverty is not a lack of character. It's a lack of resources. And when you get the money, when your person in extreme poverty gets the money they need, um, they tend to buy the things they need most. They like, we believe, and we are so stoked that the empirical research shows this, that people know how to spend their own money on the things that will most help them get out of poverty. Um, the third one you mentioned, which is unstable governments. Um, that's a hard problem. I would say that direct cash, direct cash transfers probably won't help that problem in the short term. Um, I person like in the sense that maybe you think that a more educated citizenry is is like less amenable to authoritarianism, blah blah blah. We can like s- tell a story but that's very right, speculative. Right. Yeah, we could. Um, so that probably is an area where like we need more pressure internationally, or I don't know. I'm afraid that's a little out of scope for us.
0: Right, right, right. So, so let, let's I, let's um, stay within. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I thought it, I. Um, uh, could maybe add uh, an, an anecdote um, that yes. that to, to me really helps show the power of just giving money um, because I think that most people when they hear of the idea of just giving money they intuitively get the sense that okay then you're giving someone a lifeline and then as long as you you know cut the lifeline then uh, it stops so you're not really building anything um, and um, uh, I came across this 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 story of a uh, recipient of Gift Directly, um, where you know they asked uh, what he did with the money that he got, um, and uh, this was a man in, in Kenya, and his job was to be pretty much a taxi driver, but then rather than using a car, he used a motorcycle. So he used a motorcycle to uh, drive people around uh, for for money, but he did not own a motorcycle. So, what he did every day that he would work, he would rent a motorcycle for about, uh, I think, $350 per day. Um, Meaning that, you know, a lot of his income actually went to renting that motorcycle. And this Mm -hmm. man worked six days per week, 11 hours per day. So, you know, he worked all the hours he could work. Like there was no way he could work even harder. But because he had to pay the rent of the motorcycle to do his job, um, you know, he didn't really have a margin to save up any money, um, which means that, you know, you can work as hard as you want, but you're economically trapped. Now, GIF directly gave him money. He was able to buy a motorcycle. So, he didn't have to pay that $3.5 in rent every day that he would work. Um, And after, uh, I think, less than a year, he was break even on that purchase. So, like, after a year, he would just earn $3.50 more per day, which is a lot of money. Um, So, it's not just like that giving him this cash. It was like, okay, now you can, you know, you can buy some more food or whatever. And as, as, as long as we, as soon as we stop giving cash, you're back to your old situation. No, he, he, the, the cash was sort of like a way for him to break free of being like trapped on the bottom of the economy. Um, and um, when, when they asked him uh, what he liked about, uh or actually what, what, what he thought of the idea of giving us cash transfers. Uh, and I, I'm quoting here. He said, it is good because you might be having a problem, a particular problem and you can solve that problem with money. And that's such a simple quote. Like it's almost a stupid quote because it's so simple. Um, but that is the whole idea. Like if you're in extreme poverty, then often you have ways to get to the next step. You know what to do, but but... But you can't because you're, you're, you're spending right. all your waking hours scraping by.
0: Right. I mean, this is definitely a beautiful story, right? And I'm happy you guys experienced it uh, firsthand. Um, I guess I have a follow-up question here, right? When do you, st- before we, we dive a bit, uh, we, we do a deeper di- dive into GLOW, how you work and how your project uh, is functioning, et cetera. But um, how do you know when to stop p- giving people money? How do you break that dependency? What do you mean? Well um you're giving uh, money to the taxi driver for example and at some point uh, you need to move to someone else how do you how can in general uh, one establish those parameters
1: um yeah so this is an important i understand thank you important question and important clarification uh glow does not do that we are a company we have a stable coin the stable coin has assets in its reserves um, those assets are reserved are invested in a mix of cash and treasury bills. The treasury bills give income uh, give interest income and we donate that interest income away to give directly or at least we will once we are live because we are soon to launch. Then give directly makes those determinations. So we trust them to do a good job. We think they're about the most trustworthy charity on Earth, If you had to pick one, or at least they're high up there, um, they have expertise in how to figure this out. Uh, the program that we donate to, this basic income program, is a region and or village-based unconditional cash transfer. So everybody in a village gets money for three years at a time. And then I believe give directly reassesses at the end of that three years. That's how the program is run. Um, we are not here to second guess or to use a Yiddish word kibitz with them about the details of how they do that. We think they like know what they're doing. We totally think they they've got it. And more importantly, the reason this is an interesting question is because people ask us all the time, like, "What about X? What about Y? Like, how, why don't you like work on this, this, this?" And recently, I've been quoting like the Steve Jobs quote about focus, which is that like focus means saying no to good ideas, like. Our thing, Glow's thing, is where we're releasing a stable coin. And if you only knew, oh my goodness, how much like work that it's just it's a it's a big hassle. It's a big schlep, as Paul Graham puts it in an essay about schlepping. About like solving a schlep. Um, we got plenty on our plate. We're super happy to defer the kinds of questions like
0: the ones you just asked to existing experts. Yeah, um, I have to commend you for this answer because I think that uh, sometimes what we're seeing in the blockchain space or in other spaces, too, is that, as you say, we're trying to tackle the whole value chain. And you guys are focusing on this very, very complicated part, which is raising the money. Mm-hmm. And you're letting experts uh, uh, in the field figure out who to give it to and how to give it to. Right. We, we can... Uh, go into some of the details later because I know you on that part which is also important um, but let's focus on this first part right raising the money um, Jasper tell us a bit in more detail how glow works it's a stable coin etc but just take a couple minutes to go into a little bit more detail where does the project stand um, where did you get the idea and uh, what's the plan right well where this all started
2: in the very beginning? is when uh, Sid Sabrandi, who is uh, the co-founder and CEO of software development platform GitLab, uh, which you may know, it's a competitor to GitHub. Um, you know, he, he built his company, the company went public, and he got very, very wealthy. Uh, he became a billionaire. And he thought, okay, what am I going to do with my money? I would like to do you know good things. I would like to do philanthropy. He knew GIF directly. And he likes uh, Directly a lot. Um, and he donated $10 million of his newfound wealth to GiveDirectly, um, which he felt pretty good about. Um, and then he started thinking about, OK, this, this $10 million that I just donated, um, what impact uh, does that have? Um, you know, with this money, you directly can, can, can lift a specific number of people out of extreme poverty. But then he realized, like, so many people live in extreme poverty. Um, it's 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 around 700 million. So that's 10% of the world, uh, around 10% of the world. And that's, that's about twice the U.S. population. So imagine two times the U.S. all living in extreme poverty, all scraping by to ba- meet their basic needs. That's where it starts. Like, okay, if we're going to solve this, it, it needs a lot of money, like a lot, a lot of money. And maybe that's hard to get by with donations. And then he started thinking, well, can we do something with crypto? Can we do something about the way our money works? And that's how this thing got started. Now, I'll skip ahead a little bit because we spent a couple of months um, trying to figure out what, what the right model was and what we wanted to do specifically. But... Ultimately, what we landed on was, what if we launch a stablecoin that is just like the other stablecoins, but is a non-profit? And um, the thing to understand there is that uh, stablecoins make a lot of money, but this is invisible to you because, as a as a user of stablecoins, if you're using USDC or BUSD or you know any of these stablecoins you're not paying any money, right? If you keep money in the stablecoin, the whole point of the stablecoin is you don't lose money, but you also don't make any money. You also don't really pay any transaction costs, at least not to the stablecoin issuer. So it looks like the stablecoin issuer is not making any money, but they're making a lot of money. Um, so what they do is, if you have a $1,000 in a stablecoin, well, they, they, they need to make sure that these thousand stablecoins actually keep their value. And how they do that, or at least how some of them do that, for instance, circles, USDC, is that they hold a thousand real dollars in an off-chain reserve. And whenever you want, you can exchange your thousand USDC for a thousand real dollars. Um, and 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 because of that, because of that guarantee, um, you can rest assured that your thousand USDC will keep their value of $1 per token. In the meantime, as long as they're keeping your thousand real dollars, let's say, they invest them. And they invest them in very low risk assets called U.S. government bonds, U.S. treasury bills. Um, and on average, um, they earn about 2.7% of whatever you're holding per year. So if you're holding a $1,000 in stable coins, then our estimate is that the, the, the stablecoin uh, issuer um, makes, uh, uh, what is it? 2.7 cents per year because of you. Um, now multiply that with a very large market gap and then you get to very high numbers. So we estimate um, that, um, for instance, Debtor, the largest stablecoin issuer, that they make... Uh, 2.2 billion dollars per year this way which is per day they're making 5.9 million dollars and and that's pretty wild because they're actually just doing a very simple thing right they're just keeping your money in a reserve and you know they let you exchange that for stable coins and, and that's about it so it's 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 a shockingly profitable business model and most people don't realize that because the money they earn is in sort of like an invisible way um and, um, yeah, we figured that if we just do that, but then use all of that money to lift people out of extreme poverty, well, that could, that could get large, right? So if, if, if Tether would do what GLOW is going to do, uh, and if Tether would donate that $5.9 million per day to give directly, then Tether would be providing uh, a basic income to 4.5 million people. There's four and a half million people just out of the street library. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a a, a long,
0: wide uh, already. So I'll, I'll probably stop talking here. I know you've been seeing some interesting stuff, right? Because USDC, USDT are holding uh, fortunes right now as a as a um, as a stable coin. So, but they do, and people are giving their money for basically nothing in return except the advantage of having a stable coin. So, says Jasper. Um, how can you convince people to migrate from these big players to an untested newcomer, um, whose solution is well, less well known, but has a beautiful mission. That sounds like a Jasper thing. <laughs> I, oh, sorry, that I, think.
2: I think the, the, the last, uh, part of your sentence, uh, broke off uh, i'm sorry but, but. How,
0: how how can you then convince people to migrate from big players like usdc or usdt to an untested newcomer yes you do have you are mission aligned and i commend you for that but you are an, an untested newcomer right um how do you convince people to go from these large uh, usdcs usdt stable coins to glow ah yes okay
2: so that's a great question so i think uh, uh on a high level. Um, the thing to realize is that stablecoins uh, are products that are relatively the same. So, you know, if you compare USDC and USDT, then functionally, they are both the same, right? Functionally, they're just in a blockchain token that uh, if all goes well, you can uh, rest assured it is, is worth $1. Um, so on a very high level, like once we once we make Glow um, functionally equivalent to some of these other stablecoins, well, then it's like for you, the user, they're the same. And if you pick Glow, then people get listed out of extreme poverty. So at that point, it's a no brainer, but that's a little oversimplified because there are a couple of differences between stablecoins. So for instance, one is uh, how much can you trust them? The other is how liquid is the coin? So, you know, at any given moment, um, how much of the coin could you sell for dollars if you would want liquidity? And and the third, I think, is utility, uh, which is sort of like, you know, on how many blockchains is it? Uh, How many wallets supports the token? Uh, Can I um, buy it uh, at Coinbase? Can I buy it at Kraken? Um, Is it integrated with uh, PayPal or Stripe and and things like that?